thought we'd do um, intercessory prayer first for the sermon. So, um, I'm part of a group, and we call ourselves Whakaronga Mai, and it's a prayer group, and anyone's welcome to join it. Um, and it means, it's a prayer group, but it actually means to listen up. Um, so, intercessory prayer is kind of the opposite, in that we spend a lot of time praying, we spend prayer time interceding for others, just as Christ intercedes for us. So this morning, but I thought I'd look at um, a few things So we of different prayer. I thought we see Hannah, Eli, in the Old Testament, we see Hannah praying, and Eli thinks that she's drunk. We see uh, a man in the New Testament, one of the, te- uh, the stories just told of a man standing, praying, and he stands there and he says, I don't want to be like that fella over there who's weeping and crying and putting his life on the line to God. And then we see Elijah who's hiding in a cave and he's looking for God in thunder, lightning, storms and earthquakes, but God comes in a small whisper. So this morning I'd like us to think, um, have, have a small whisper moment where we're going to spend some time with quiet um, and I'm just going to start with scripture and I'm going to give us about a minute and a half of silence, which we all feel really uncomfortable doing sometimes. I know I do. But when in that time, people, as Celeste prayed before for the brokenhearted, maybe there's a situation or people or someone or something or an event that God will put on your heart. And I'd really like you to pray for that every day this week. I'd like to challenge us to do that. But this morning we're going to take a minute and a half of our time to pray, listen to, for God. And I'm just going to start with the scripture, Second Peter 3, 9, because if, don't overlook the obvious here, friends. With God, one day is as good as a thousand years, and a thousand years as a day. God isn't late with his promise as some measure lateness. He's restraining himself on account of you, holding back the end because he doesn't want anyone lost. And he's giving everyone space and time to change. I don't know about you, but I've been praying for lots of things for quite a long time, and they, it's all in, I've got to hand those things over to God as well. So let's just take our minute and a half, and then I will finish with um, a psalm.
Lord, guide us to keep looking out when we want to pull in. Lord, soften our hearts when, when we harden them with anger and judgment. Lord, help us trust in your timing and love when things aren't exactly as we plan. Lord, may we worship you forever. Amen. Morana Church, uh, and I am doing the sermon this morning. Um, let's just test some bits and pieces. There we go. Thank you. Galatians four twelve to twenty. Paul connects. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. When that, what they want to, is to alienate you from us, so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Those verses painted a picture for me of what Paul was going through when he wrote those, that part of his letter. He's distraught, he's, he's in real pain, because they were so connected, and now they're not just disconnected, they're alienated from each other. I've broken this talk up into three themes, three out of many. It's amazing when you dig into just eight verses, you start off thinking there, there can't be much to work with in that. And, uh, and of course you end up wondering how you're even going to grasp everything the writer has been inspired to share. First theme. Oh, am I clicking that? Oh, there are. Can we go back? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, so you... I'll let you go back to yeah that one, and then I'll I'll try the click now. Yeah, taking my thumb off. Here we go. Apologies. The dead messenger. One of the things traveling through Eastern Mediterranean cultures and some exposure to Maori culture has taught me: if you want to influence people to share your oso-logical position on a topic, then it's important to connect with them first. Sharing your whakapapa, your roots, a connection the listener can relate to because it explains where you're coming from and what your platform or your bias actually is that you're starting from. The listener can then all the better judge what you are saying. Paul waits until about two-thirds of the way through his letter to talk heart-to-heart -heart, uh, with his audience to remind them of their shared experience, the crisis, if you will, that brought them together, namely his illness 
and their response to him. They treated him like an angel despite his illness. Their connection during that really tough time was a blessing for all of them. They were bonded together. But you can tell he's pretty annoyed with them now. Just contrast the start of Galatians with many of the other letters he wrote. Galatians basically starts uh, similarly to the other letters, but quite pointedly. Hi, Jesus himself appointed me. Um, I am... I am sharing this with a, a crowd of witnesses around me. Um, blessings to you, and then basically, you idiots. How did you get this so wrong? And then eventually, these verses, where he's pleading them with, from his heart. What Paul really wants to do is to be there. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone, because I am perplexed about you. But he can't. He's been forced to send a dead messenger, as one commentator described it, because that is what a letter is, a dead messenger. His letter can't respond to the people receiving it. It can't adjust to their mood, their fears, their arrogance, their needs. He pleads with them, calls him his children. My dear children, I'm going through the pains of childbirth again like a man actually knows what that's about. Um, but that aside, he's aware that his letter, his dead messenger, has to point at the living messenger if it's to have the right impact. Just like Paul's old Jewish traditions are now dead to him because he has a new living message, one that he keeps pointing to in this letter. To turn the readers of his dead message to the living messenger, not a set of rituals as a substitute, Again. Am I, where should I be pointing? The live messenger. Yeah. Okay. Paul starts with these verses, or starts these verses with the request, Be like me because I became like you. It's one of those lines that needs the rest of the content for its interpretation. How would we become like Paul? Well, what was Paul like? I often think he would be hard to live up to. There's a, another word cloud um, on Paul's character. Is this the template to live by? Well, he was a Greek-speaking Jew who was a city boy, so all good there. He was a tent maker by trade. Bit of a tent maker myself. <laughs> that's me in the foreground there. I was quite proud to hear Kerry say, oh, that's a big one. <laughs> I, uh, he was also into laws and righteousness. In Philippians, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. And whilst Paul had taken a new leaf on the whole law-following thing, he still wanted his disciples to be blameless when the Lord returned. In Thessalonians, so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Um, so he would never have been caught like this. That's the... Uh, one you got before. Um, just introduce you to my family there. That's uh, son-in-law Etienne on the far right, my daughter Kate, uh, me, and then Zach and, and Campbell. Um, certainly my best side. I saw um, on the news on Thursday that a Kiwi's made himself famous by piddling on the roof of the Sydney cricket grounds. I can confirm he's no relation. <laughs> Sorry. Um, 
He did also believe that women should be silent in churches. Um, I've no idea why. We all know some very sensible women, just not this one. Um, of course, women actually did play quite a, a large part in Paul's missionary endeavours. Um, but he wouldn't let his converts attend public festivals because they were connected to pagan religious traditions. In 1 Corinthians, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. Uh, so certainly not much of this. Yes, uh, you can see on your left, um, I'm actually pretty much dancing to my own tune there. Uh, Kerry says that's proof that I don't actually listen. Of course, in my arrogance, I, I said it was everybody else that got it wrong. But um, anyway, by the way, his, his followers could rejoice in spiritual gifts such as healing, prophesying and speaking in tongues. Most biblical scholars also agree that Paul would have traveled over 10,000 miles on his missionary journeys uh, on foot. Uh, here's one of our own congregation, Steve Silk, near the end of his 160-kilometer and nearly 34-hour epic of running and walking. Would Paul have had a smile on his face like that when you met him? I hope so. It's somewhat hard to guess from his dead messengers. All joking aside, Paul is a hard act to follow, but I don't think he meant for us to be what he was. His encouragement for celibacy and being single is an immediate red card for many of us. I believe he was telling the Galatians and us to be impacted like he was. Paul had a vision that changed his life. He saw the Lord in a bright light. In fact, it blinded him and he was, had to be led by hand into Damascus, where he didn't eat or drink for three days. One moment he's steeped in righteous knowledge and retribution, and the next he's steeped in nothing but the love that Jesus had for him, and in the care he now needed from the very Christian brothers and sisters who had feared him only moments earlier. If anyone had asked him what had happened, I wonder if he would have struggled to have explained it. His, his mouth would have been pretty parched from lack of drinking, if nothing else. In more modern times, Paul's answer as to what happened to him may have been something like this, you know. That verse that starts this section, for me, sums up all the verses that follow. Become like me, the ragged remains of an explosion held together only by the love of Jesus the living message, messenger. So that brings us to the message. Uh, but that's already been awesomely explained by other speakers on this series, so I'm going to throw out an approach that may help some of us to avoid the problem that Paul was addressing in these verses. Paul and the Galatians connected over a period of stress for Paul. He was ill, possibly from beatings he had received. Uh, he may have ended up looking a bit like this. Click. Can we get a click? There we go. Yeah, ouch. And living with that would certainly have been a real trial, a crisis. So why did I bring that up? Yes, Andrew, why did you make us see that? Well, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> it's about staying true to the message. Whilst Paul's illness was a crisis, the Galatians focused on what was important, even treating him quite sacrificiously, sacrificiously, 
like an angel. I'll come back to that word later. But once Paul had left and things had potentially settled down or got comfortable, the others came to town and were preaching a new message, one that had some comforting similarities too, as, as Rob pointed out last week, their previous pagan experiences, and they took to it with zeal. Uh, it was interesting just a couple of weeks ago to hear Doug and Claire uh, when they spoke about um, a recent, you know, the, the crisis with COVID and the impact that had on disparate church groups uh, in the areas that they work in, where decisions were actually agreed in quite a short period of time, decisions that would normally have taken months or longer. But during that crisis, they focused on what was important. The term crisis comes from medical Latin and that from the Greek for decision. Here are some words similar to crisis listed from the Oxford Dictionary. The ones we expect, catastrophe, cataclysm, disaster, uh, strangely enough, some cooking ones, a pickle, a jam, a stew, a mess. It's more about my cooking, actually. Hardship, distress, dire straits. I thought they were a rock band, but there you go. Dilemma, upheaval, moment of truth, point of no return. And that pretty much happened when I chose those pictures of Gary. Um, <laughs> my wife for those that weren't aware, um, the one that did this prayer just before I started. And my favourite similar turn, Rubicon. In 49 BC, Julius Caesar led his army to the banks of the Rubicon, a small river that marked the boundary between Italy and Gaul. Roman law forbade any general from leading his army out of his own province. By crossing the Rubicon, he would violate that law. The die is cast, he said, wading in. That act sparked a three-year civil war that ultimately left Julius Caesar the undisputed leader, ruler of the Roman world. Now, there's been some research on groups of people during times of crisis and during times of comfort. Um, that first study... Uh, how the stress of disaster brings people together from Scientific America. Two groups were put through their paces. One group had stress applied through, and feel free to put your hand up if this would also stress you, public speaking. Yeah, okay, all the rest of you are going to be put on the sermon roster. Um, <laughs> completing complicated mathematical equations. Now, Charles Dar, your hand should not go up at this point. I just want to point that out. Um, the stressed and non-stressed group were then asked to play an economics game involving potential financial gain based on the choices they made in the game. They could choose to cooperate with each other and trust them or not. The result was that the acute stress group were more connected to each other. They had higher trust of, each of others and their own behaviour became more trustworthy they were more likely to cooperate and share resources. So were the Galatians in their time of stress with Paul more gullible, overly generous? Not at all. The stressed group in the above study could still solve problems as well as those who weren't stressed. And they did not differ from the control group in their ability to make decisions or their willingness to sanction another participant who acted unfairly. The investing in karma study found that feeling out of control through a reminder of one's mortality leads to greater generosity and helpfulness. 
and a choice mindset showed we're actually less generous when we are primed with feelings of self-determination and control. Now, to be clear, obviously, chronic or persistent stress can have the reverse effect. It's not healthy, and if you're experiencing ongoing stress, if you can't get a break from it, then you need to seek help. Let someone know, just as a starting point. There are numerous, numerous biblical statements on seeking comfort, the opposite of crisis. A rich young ruler had become comfortable, and you can see his resistance, uh, in, in, as you remember that story, to any narrative that would make him take steps to leave that comfort behind, even when he knew deep down it was the right thing to do. That Beatitudes verse in Matthew. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's pretty stressful. The second Corinthians verse, the last one there, finishes so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. That's part of our role, to find those in trouble, in crisis, and bring them the comfort that we have received from God. So, staying true to God, to the message, and to God. There is a crisis before us, world wars, famine, refugees, racism, sexism, COVID, homelessness, lawlessness, loneliness, our finances, our relationships, our children's choices, your choices, and obviously most especially my choices. Paul is talking about a crisis of truth, but actually it's about love. So are all those things I just listed. But during that crisis, if we can connect in unity with God, our own behavior can start to reflect the approach that Jesus would take. What might that look like? The act of putting on our crisis helmet. It certainly looks like a missionary, you know, short or long term, but it also looks like repairing your relationship with God or with family or with friends. <clears throat> It's as simple as helping someone in need. A number of life groups can testify to the change that is wrought in not only those being helped, but those helping. Soup next Sunday is just going to be a blessing for all of us. Amen. I put myself under a bit of stress a few weeks ago. This lady was asking people uh, walking out of, the, out of a supermarket in Wellington if they would buy her lunch. So I put my toe in the water and asked what she would like. She then ups the ante <clears throat> and asked me to accompany her as she went around and chose some things. At this point, I'm thinking, well, they've only got those half-height trolleys in the supermarket. How bad could it get? <laughs> she only, she spent, you know, she asked for stuff that was less than $10. A healthier lunch would probably be more expensive. Um, but I did leave feeling, you know, that I'd, I'd I felt more generous. I just felt different. Prayer with someone who's just told you some bad news. Prayer with somebody who's just told you some good news. Um, occasionally, you know, I've told um, some stuff to somebody that I'm, I'm sitting with, and that person has then said, well, let's pray now. Wow, <laughs> awkward. You mean right here? Won't all the other people in this cafe notice? 
like everybody's looking at me, of course. Um, and then you pray, and it was the right thing to do. I'm sure many of us have been there. Volunteering time at a local charity, prison fellowship, fostering children, or maybe offering to help those who are doing those things. Checking in on a friend you haven't connected with for a while. I got a phone call from um, someone in my life group a few weeks ago. Hi, how are you? Just keen to hear what's going on for you. Not because I was actually having any issues that I'd shared with the group at that time, but just because they'd slipped on their crisis helmet for a moment and reached out. And I felt different after that, I really did. I'd, like I'd been woken up again to what was real. Doing a sermon. There's a moment of crisis for you. And by the way, given that research about public speaking making you feel more generous, if you need money, ask the person who's just done a sermon, obviously. <laughs> but leave poor Rob alone. He's probably getting up close to that chronic stress limit where he's becoming more cranky. <laughs> I'm not challenging you to do anything. I'm suggesting you take a seat, put a smile on your face, and consider what colour you'd paint your crisis helmet if you were to put it on your armour of God. And consider why you might not put it on. Get a bit real with yourself. Is it our judgment of others, our fears, concern about whether it would even help? It's just a drop in the bucket. Never underestimate the drop. Every river flowing into the sea started with a drop. Perhaps because you'd be doing it on your own. You don't need to. We're all called to be different. Barbie's introduction to Enneagrams a few weeks ago was, was quite useful again for me. A very short test painted me as a type four individualist. Self-aware, reserved, emotionally honest, as you can see from those photos I was sharing in my face. Moody, um, feeling vulnerable and defective. Feeling disdainful and exempt from ordinary ways of living. <laughs> so like everyone else here, I'm complicated. I'm as complicated as God wanted me to be. And because of that, he wants me to live the crisis life with other people, other complicated brothers and sisters. Some of them challenge me more than I want to, but I do need. And some of them help me relax and enjoy more than I feel I deserve, but actually can't stay healthy without Paul's dead messenger wants the Galatians, wants us to be impacted like he was, blown away by love. He wants to point us at the living messenger, and that's when it becomes the living word of God. And he wants us to stay true to that word. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. I'm going to um, play a Stephen Curtis Chapman song. It's about the crisis, the Rubicon, the point of no return. And I'll continue to strive to not just put a toe into that water, but like Paul pleads, to dive in wholeheartedly.